Welcome to the Declaration Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us. We pray that today's message encourages you and blesses you. If you'd like to connect with us, please visit us at declaration.org. bring our attention back to Haggai, the book of Haggai. We're going to be in chapter two. We're going to kind of wrap up the book this morning. Um, Anybody remember the 90s? You want me to really make you feel old? (laughs) I said this once and and this just hit my brain, so I haven't had a chance to do the arithmetic. But, um, you know, we're like, what, 30 years removed from 1990, 31? Help me, Lord. I hear you. I see you. Um, You remember this? You remember Friends? These friends in fifth and sixth grade want you to go over there. How do you like that pivot? Everybody clap for the fifth and sixth grade and they're going to. The 90s were some really good years though, man. They, they were good. There was some good music in the 90s, some good times in the 90s. Uh, anybody remember that little booklet from way back in the day called Our Daily Bread? You remember that? For whatever reason, it was always in my grandfather's bathroom. I don't know. That's just. So I I used to see that little booklet at my grandparents' house. It was November of 1992. Everybody was wondering, like, where are we going with this 90s thing? It was 1992 in November where in in the little booklet, Our Daily Bread, we see that someone published some statistical data for us. Someone actually calculated how a typical lifespan of someone who is 70 years old was spent. So a typical lifespan of someone who had lived for 70 years. Let's see this chart. This is what they said. Um, Here we go. Yeah, sleep. You you spent 23 years of your 70s sleeping. Um, 16 years working. Eight years watching TV. There's probably friends. Um, Six years eating. Six years traveling. Four and a half years in leisure. Four years with illness. Uh, Add COVID. Take away. Minus. Okay. Seven years in illness. Um, Two years dressing. Now, for guys, I think that's more like half a year. For ladies, it might, like, the average worked out, okay? Two years. Uh, Religion, six months. (laughs) So 70 years, 100% total. This is the way, statistically, by the time you're 70, this is what the average came to. So based on this data, what do you think this list says of the priorities of the average person? Now, I'm not going to question the sleep thing because in Jesus' name, I can't wait for a nap, all right? I don't want to do that. But based on this chart, man, we obviously spend an immense amount of time at the work of our hands and very little time at the work of our hearts. I mean, I've heard it said this way before. In fact, a friend of mine, um, Kyle Bird, who I deeply respect, he's a pastor in, in the Hill Country. He said this one time, and man, it stuck with me. He said, And he was just riffing one day, preaching the spirit of God was on him. And all of a sudden he said, you know what? We worship our work. We work at our play and we play at our worship. Let me say it again. We worship our work. We work at our play and we play at our worship. As clearly illustrated, you know, when you see that chart, go back to that chart, Kevin, if you don't mind. 22.8% of the average 70-year life spent was spent working, or 16 of the 70 years of life was spent on the work of our hands. I think I can make a case for um, including even some eating time, though I didn't include any, you know, what of that. But, but 22.8%, 15.1, oh, here it is, 15.1% of the average 70-year life spent 
um, spent combining the travel and leisure. And that's what I was saying. I could, I could add some eating time in there, but I didn't. But 10 and a half of the 70 years was spent on just play, leisure. That's just traveling and leisure. I, I, didn't, I didn't even add TV into that. Um, 0.7, 0.07% of the average 70 years of life was spent on religion. And I don't, I don't like the word religion, if I'm being honest. I'm not running from it. I just personally think that religion is what brought down towers on 9-11. There's a difference in my view of religion and relationship with Jesus. And so um, I'm going to say 0.07 of the percentage of the 70 years of life spent was spent on our walk with God or our relationship with Jesus. This even includes going to church. So 0.07% or six months of the average 70-year-old person. I mean, we spend more time dressing ourselves than worshiping. Hence that we play at our worship. So I believe this is why God instructed the remnant returning to Jerusalem from Babylonian captivity to consider their ways. This is why, you know, if you, if you read the book of Haggai and you've, you've listened now for three weeks, I mean, he's pretty much saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over. It's ve- I think it's important. I, I believe that this is why God was saying, hey, wake up. Consider your ways. And here's the thing. I believe that this is why this message is deeply just as relevant for us today as it was for them back then. It's time that we return to the, I mean, return the fullness of our hearts to God and to God alone. To reassess what it is that we deem to really be the most important things. To realign our priorities. To stop putting our gain above his glory as we saw last week. It's time that we begin to put first things first. Now, I've told you this before. I'm going to keep reminding you of this because it's very true and very very relevant, I think, to keeping first things first. A.W. Tozer once said this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is, is the most important thing about us. Why did he say that? Well, in his own words, he goes on to kind of, you know, define it. He says, worship is either pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. So basically, how we see and how we perceive God is something else that I think we deeply need to consider right now. It's definitively important. Um, we, we all tend to gravitate to some sort of mental image of God, which shapes our thoughts of God. It shapes our mental image of God. It shapes our belief and our attitudes about God. And it, 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 it ends up shaping our perception and, and our purpose and our priorities, So how we see God is so important. You show me someone with an expansive and lofty view, incredibly high view of God in every way, and I will show you someone who most likely understands his or her purpose of living to exalt God in every way. Uh, The person who has an incredibly high view of God is the person who has God in an incredibly high position of priority. So today I want to encourage us. I don't feel like we can afford to be distracted any longer. I, I don't, we can't allow ourselves to continue to walk and live in this drudgery of discouragement anymore. We have to get busy pursuing God and just, and just pouring ourselves into being obedient to what it is that he's asking of us out of this deep affection and out of this reverence for God. Please don't hear me say, if you work harder, you'll be happier. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying out of a response to who God is, out of a response for all that God has done, and out of a response for all that God is even currently doing right now, even when you don't see it, you say yes and amen. God, I am yours forever. I, I want to be so faithful. See, we got to start being consistent and stay consistent. 
we got to begin by considering our ways. And so if I had to summarize the whole book of Haggai, I'd just say the big idea of the whole book is God calling his people to return to him fully. Holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y. Holy. And also to start being holy. Set apart. H-O-L-Y. That's it. He desires us to honor him. In every way, he desires the fullness of our hearts, the fullness of our attention and our allegiance. He desires our total reliance and our total obedience. He desires us to obey his plans and his purposes for our lives. We must stop bowing down to the idol of self and stop putting personal gain over the priority of the glory of God. We gotta stop. So today's message and this passage that we're going to be in, it sounds very similar to the rest of God's message throughout the entire book of Haggai. But this time he's going to say it in a slightly different way. So let's look at it together. Haggai chapter 2, starting in verse 10. He says, on the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius. So basically now two months have passed since Haggai had received the second word from the Lord um, that he had delivered, which was actually the focus of last week's message. So two months have passed in our timeline. It's now December 18th. Harvest season would be completely um, done by now. And it says, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Again, with another message from God given to Haggai to deliver um, to the remnant of those who had returned to Jerusalem from Babylonian captivity to find the temple was in ruins. Um, the, the percentage of population was greatly, you know, just down. And, and the only thing left to do, according to uh, Pastor Boyce, remember, was to begin to rebuild from the ruins. Restoration. And this is what the Lord Almighty says in verse 11. He says, hey. Go ask the priest what the law says. I want you to go talk to the priest. Ask, ask him what the law says. So God's saying, I want you to go seek an official priestly ruling on a ceremonial matter. Here's the question at hand that God is telling Haggai to go be inquisitive of. Right here, verse 12. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? So if someone touches any other food with meat that was set apart or consecrated for use of worship, if, if, if this, this meat is viewed, it's viewed as holy due to the nature of it being set apart for a sacrificial purpose. And he's saying, um, if that meat touches any other food, does that meat make the other food holy? Um, does that meat make the other food consecrated just because it touches it? And the priest says, no, no. The priest answers Haggai's question negatively. No, ritual holiness cannot be transferred. Ritual holiness is not transferable. Verse 13, then Haggai said, well, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replies, it becomes defiled. So to this question, yes, um, the trans, to, yes, to transmission of ritual uncleanness. A person's ceremonial defilement is as transferable as a contagious disease. I mean, let's just think of COVID right now. We have completely interrupted all of life for this disease. There's no statement to be made, be made about it other than I just want you to see it for what it is. And now here is the question from Haggai and the answer from the priest. Yes, just as transferable as a contagious disease is a person's ceremonial defilement. And what have we done to keep ourselves from that? 
So look at what Haggai says next. And Haggai says, so it is with these people and the nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. So Haggai applies the answers to the questions God had him ask the priests on the remnant. And the message is this. Disobedience renders the sacrifice unacceptable because the vessel is unclean. Disobedience renders the sacrifice unacceptable because the vessel is unclean. This goes into what we were talking about last week. I think we were praying about it. Maybe it was in prayer service. I can't remember. Too many things happened. But we read Amos chapter 5, and it's a very stirring passage where God says, Get away from me with your hymns of noise. Get away with your dogma and your religion and all of these things. Because he's basically showing the dichotomy of, hey, we're going to come on, we're going we're to come to the temple on, 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 our, on the holy day and we're going to put on our, our best and we're going to sing and we're going to do all these things. But then Monday through Saturday, we're going to keep living like hell. You know, I was, for some reason God speaks to me in the bathroom. It's weird. And I'm, I'm, I'm you know, no, no, yeah. So, but this is what happened last week, you know. I come out of the bathroom and I feel like the Lord said, hey, it, you know, if you... If you don't want to go to hell, why do you keep living that way? And it's not about, here's the deal. I'm not, this is not a destination message, right? This is not a hellfire brimstone message. Um, I don't even want to make it about the destination. I want to make it about, let's just say it this way. If you don't want to look like Satan, why do you, why do you act like it? If you don't want to be affiliated with that that's close to the spirit of Satan, lying, gossiping, slandering, da, 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 why are you? Acting like it. You know, defilement. Disobedience renders the sacrifice unacceptable because the vessel is unclean. So what do we need to hear from this? Our disobedience to God can render our worship of God unacceptable to God. This defilement being discussed from the nation of Israel to the remnants, he's most likely looking back to the period of time before the temple rebuilding began. uh, Before they decided to stop being disobedient. And that's when the defilement began, when they were dismissive of God, when he wasn't their first priority. He was talking about when the people were building their own lives apart from God, just settling, living in their new normal, forsaking, even forsaking the temple, forsaking God. And remember, instead of building the house of God, the temple, they were building their own houses. And by this, they were telling God, um, I'm putting me in front of you. That's what they were doing. But then... Then they chose to listen. They chose to listen to Haggai, meaning they chose to listen to God. They chose to repent and they chose to return. They chose to become obedient. They chose to begin to rebuild the temple. They chose to stop being distracted by the dumb stuff and by the desires. that They chose to deny self. They chose to die to self, to follow God. And in verse 15, this is what he says. Remember, he's been saying, consider your ways, consider your ways, consider your ways, consider your ways. Now he says, now give careful thought to this. Almost like, okay, I've said it so many times, you haven't heard it. I'm going to change it up. Maybe you'll hear this way. Give careful thought to this. He says, from this day on, from this day on, consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. Now, I want you to know, this is a fulcrum. This, is, this, this verse right here is a transitional verse in verse 15. It's about to get gooder, okay? <laughs> so if you feel like you've been beat up from the feet up for a few minutes, it's going to get good, all right? Here's what he says. Now, give careful thought to this. See, when you put the emphasis on a different syllable, (laughs) give careful thought to this. He says, from this day on, consider how things were before one stone was laid when you were disobedient, basically. He goes, think about it. Don't ever forget this. From this day on, do not forget. Give careful thought. 
Consider how I was before, before you chose to return to me, before you chose to surrender and repent, before you chose to give me the fullness of your heart, before you chose me as your first priority, before one stone was laid to rebuild my house, before you chose to obey my desires to honor me over your desires. He goes, think about this. He says, when anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you still did not return to me, declares the Lord. Don't forget those days, God says. Do not forget those days. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. He's saying, man, never forget that moment when the very first stone of obedience was laid down on the foundation of that temple. He says, is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. See, Haggai is calling on the remnant to remember their previous economic disaster. Remember what was going on in your disobedience, which then, you know, which came because they had disobeyed God. They had disobeyed God and not done what he had asked them to do in rebuilding the temple. This is the third out of five times, so you know, that these people are challenged to give careful thought. I mean, when God says something over and over, do you think he's probably pretty serious about it? Here he is reminding them, man, your disobedience has caused this defilement. He's saying... He's saying this, he's saying, you sowing and your lack of surrender is what led to you reaping your ramifications. This was on you. So he, it's, it's very similar language that we saw in, like chapter, in the back side of chapter one. He said, it's on you, make no mistake, this is you. Throughout the book of Haggai, a real theme that we cannot ignore today has been this. Listen, please, rebelling against God will not reap blessing from God. So let me say it again. Rebelling against God will not reap blessing from God. So basically God is telling them, your lack of reverence unto me has led to your lack of reaping from me. But you have considered your ways. You have chosen to repent and return to me. You have chosen to honor me and obey me and begin to rebuild. And because of that, and here's the best news possible, this is what he says. Because of that, don't forget, from this day forward, he says, I'm going to bless you. I will bless you because of your obedience from the moment you laid the first stone to begin to rebuild. I will bless you. I, he's saying, I'm going to open up the gates of heaven and I'm going to pour it out. That's what he's saying. And I want you to listen to me. See, here's what I really believe. God wants the fullness of our hearts. He desires the priority of our affections. He desires our obedience. And you may ask, you know, do, Pastor, do you believe that God really wants to bless us? Do you, do you believe that God wants to bless us with more than enough? Yes, I do. I really do. Yes, and why do I do that? I, I believe that because of passages like this, because of passages that sometimes feel uncomfortable for some of us. Malachi chapter three is a big one. I've had people leave this church over Malachi chapter three. I mean, you can argue with me all that. You cannot argue with this. I believe that God wants to bless you. Now, hold on, buckle your seatbelt. But please don't miss the point. The point is not the blessing. The point is the one who gives the blessing. Listen to me. Please don't miss this. This is not about our prosperity. This is about our priority. Do not miss it. It's the reason why I keep saying you're not the, man, you're not the point of the story. You are an, you're an important part of the story. 
It's not about our, our blessing as much as it's about the one who blesses, the heart of the one who loves us, who desires our love in return. We don't have the capacity in and of ourselves until we finally see with clear eyes what all that God has done and is doing daily, moment by moment. The very next breath you have in your lungs is a gift from the God on high. It's not about our prosperity. It's about our priority. It's high time that we start to become serious and consider our ways, return to God, give him our whole heart, give him our best yes, or better, even just give him, begin to give him our very best. It's time that we do put first things first. And here, can I say this? It's time to simplify our lives by slaying the idol of self. Dying to self. Luke 9, 23. Can I just say, um, I got a text message. I feel a little bit like Taylor Swift, like I'm writing songs about people. I'm not. <laughs> not. But I did get a text message that kind of stirred me this week because it was just laden with me, 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 me. And... It made me stop and think because, listen, I struggle with the me monster. I'd be lying if I, if I said I didn't. I think we all do. But one thing I became very clear, cognizant of at an early age, which is why probably, you know, thank, you, thank God for his kindness and conviction. I became very clear that Luke 9.23 did not say, hey, do you, boo, wear a cross necklace for declaration or decoration and, and just kind of exist that's not what Luke 9.23 said. Luke 9.23 did not say, hey, make sure you do you. Find the house that fits the preference. Find the house that fits the preference profile. Make sure that you look the part, dress the part, wear the right religious stuff, cross, and just do Luke 9.23, Jesus is very clear. He says, hey, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple is what he says, die to yourself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Be willing to sacrifice unto the death. The death of your agenda, the death of your desires, the death of your dreams. Anything that, that is going to come before him, die to that. Jesus was very, it's confusing, it's all mess, get out. But he was very clear. Hey, if you love your father and your mother more than me, you're not fit. Let the dead bury their own dead or you're not fit. Put your hand to the plow and don't look back or you're not fit. If you do not die to self and take up your cross willingly to sacrifice everything for my name and for my glory and for my kingdom, you are not fit to follow me. So here it is. It's the, it's the proverbial line in the sand of Jesus finally saying, hey, American church, get over yourself. Get over you. Die to you. It is not you are an important part of the story, but you are not the point of the story. It is not about your prosperity. It is not about our entitlements. It is all about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. It's a monarchy. It's about him and him alone. Our mere existence is at the pleasure of our king. Yes. Period. See, we got to slay the idol of self. Bob Pierce, minister and founder of global relief organization World Vision, says this. We cannot decide whether or not we will live or die. We can only decide what we will die for. See, I wonder today, just considering the last nine, ten months, man, have we seen enough? Have we experienced enough yet? Are we finally fully ready and willing to totally die to self so to truly follow Jesus? I mean, I'm not talking about a, a 
pointless exercise of religion about Jesus. I'm talking about a passionate, enraptured relationship with Jesus. I'm talking about a life, by the time we reach 70 years old, God willing, let's see that chart again, um, where if statistically measured, we would see a very high number percentage of a life that is dedicated to the glory of God. Dedicated to the glory of God and for the sake of others. One that would exist to help people. God, the only reason why I exist is to help people encounter you and follow you. That's it, period. That's it. One that was so passionately in love with God that it was incredibly contagious to everyone that it encountered. I mean, what would happen if the church, those who claim to know, thinking about just, what would happen if the church, those who claim to know Jesus, began to truly follow Jesus with all of their heart, with all of their affection, with all of their allegiance, with their total surrender, with all of their obedience, with everything about, every, the, everything that God has poured into them, they would pour it out for God. They would wring themselves out literally daily. I mean, considering a high guy and the meaning behind the message that God had him delivered. The message, consider your ways. To consider rebuilding the temple, not their house, but his. I've been thinking a lot about this over the last few weeks. I've been thinking a lot about just the timeline of the last nine, ten months. I've been thinking a lot about even the election cycle and, and, and all of the stuff that's come with that. I know that there are people who feel like I've not taken a stand on some sort of political platform. I'm not going to do that. The kingdom that I exist for is not a democracy. It's a monarchy. I'm going to continue to say you got to lift your eyes to Jesus first and foremost every time. There are people in the house that voted every different way. I don't care how you voted. I don't care what you're going to eat tonight unless it's barbecue and you invite me. But all I'm saying is this. All I'm saying is this. Dr. Tony Evans made a statement a few weeks ago. And I was thinking about this statement. And... um, And I wanted to say it, but it wasn't the time. But now I think it's the time. What would happen if the people of God or those who claim to love and follow God, what would happen if those people cared about God's house as much as they've shown themselves to care about the White House? What would happen? And that, my friend, is why you have heard me preach the way I've been preaching. Because all the while, God was telling the remnant, hello, are we awake? God was telling the remnant, why are you too busy building your house and not mine? Why are you so concerned with your paneled white house picket fence life while my house is in ruins? Why are you more considered with, why are you more considering your brand and your popularity more than my presence? See, we got to lift our eyes higher and we got to put first things first. The fruit on the other side of the remnant is yet to be seen. The fruit on the other side of this moment from the remnant is yet to be seen. And I'm determined, God, I've got resolve. God, may the fruit of this house be fragrant, may it multiply. May it be contagious. May it be life-giving. May it be honorable of every person. Listen, we're not going to make everybody happy. But my heart is, is that because of our integrity and our character and our walk with Jesus, it would encourage people to be holy. So are we putting God first? Do we have God first place in our life? It's hard to imagine, but is, is God even more important than your spouse or your significant other? 
Is he more important to, to you th- than your kids and your hobby? You know, I talked about desperation earlier. And some of us, man, I've, I've been there. Kelly and I have been there. We've been there when we were, I did student ministry for 20-something years and got to the point with my own kids where there were moments where I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to do. And I found myself desperate. But just how desperate, right? I mean, maybe, maybe you're in the, the middle of a moment right now where, where, man, it looks like everything is imploding and falling apart. Well, man, let me ask you, have you considered your ways? Have you considered your house, your priorities? Maybe it is that, that you would begin to say, you know what? I'm, I'm going all in, Jesus. I'm going all in. I'm done trying on my own. I'm just going to focus my, the fullness of my whole life upon you. And, and God, either, either I'm going to see a revival or I'm going to see beauty rise up from the ashes either way. But either way, God, you're going to work all things together for good. Because even when I can't see it, you're working. And even when I don't feel it, you're working. I'm going to choose to believe that you are my way maker. You are my promise keeper. You are my God and you love me. Is your spouse more important or your significant other more important than God? Is your kids or your hobbies more important than God? Um, Is the extracurricular of your life more important than God? What will it take for us to truly consider our ways and surrender our will to his? What is the other side of this moment, the other side of repentance, the other side of returning? What does that look like? What is the fruit of it? Does it or or, um, how does it impact how we will spend our time? Does it or how does it impact how we will raise our kids? Does it, or how does it impact how we will treat each other if we will finally commit to the family of God instead of being angry at the family of God? Does it, or how does it impact our ability to forgive, to walk in community? Does it, and how does it impact the way that we choose to spend God's money that he entrusts to us? Does it, or how does it impact our tithing, our generosity, which are two different things, our obedience? How does it impact our spiritual disciplines? How does it impact um, our impact in our serving? Because see, if we can't answer yes to God with all of those questions, then maybe we are still holding on to something or to self. To which I would say, to what end? And what more will it take? How much more shaking and sifting can you survive? See, Jesus says, come and die. Die to self. Deny self. Embrace the cross. Follow him in all of his ways. Follow him even up to the mountain of sacrifice. Abraham, follow him even up to the mountain of sacrifice. Jesus Be willing to do it, to trust him, to obey him. And listen, as we wrap this thing up today, this whole passage ends so gloriously encouraging. Listen, you could even preach a whole message on this. Uh, We don't have time, but I do want you to look at these last few verses because God wasn't quite finished speaking yet. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Till Zerubbabel, the governor, that I'm gonna shake the heavens and the earth. I'm gonna do something supernatural on your behalf, basically. I'm going to overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. Can I tell you this? God is going to overthrow every throne that's not his. God is going to shatter the power of every kingdom that is not in line with him. If if, if, If those kingdoms aren't dedicated to be his, shattered. 
He says, I'm going to overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall each by the sword of his brother. And God is reminding him, I got this. I got you. I am with you. I am for you. See, it would have been really easy for the returning exiles, the remnant, to feel totally insignificant in the world in which they exist. Remember, they were comparing the temples as if they were just pawns, as if they were just spectators. It would be very easy for you to feel so insignificant as if you're just some spectator sitting on the sideline that God really never intended to call and put into the game. So easy to feel that way. But God wanted these people to know and remember to consider, to give careful thought that though may, they may have felt that they were small in the eyes of the superpowers of the world that they were in, they were actually servants of the God of all power. They were on the winning side. They would win. See, throughout the entire book of Haggai, we see that God's message to these people were filled with both rebuke and encouragement. Rebuke and encouragement. And it's the same with you and with me as we receive God's word as well. And again, like I said, while there's a whole nother sermon here, I want you to understand how God is ending this. To the remnant from Israel, I believe, and to the remnant today right here in America, know this, Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. These last three verses are, are prophetically speaking to a time when he will shake the system once again supernaturally and he will usher in Jesus coming back. And this is what's being proclaimed by God in this passage. One day there's gonna be a worldwide messianic kingdom that will replace the Gentile kingdoms of our world. That this is what verse 21 and 22 is all about. God's saying, I'm gonna overturn and I'm gonna overthrow all the earthly kingdoms. Look at 23. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant, and that's so powerful, Zerubbabel, I'm going to take you, my servant, and I'm going to make you like a signet ring. You're going to be my signet ring because I've chosen you. And this is what God says to him to end this whole word. I'm going to use you, Zerubbabel. I'm going to use you for such great purpose. You may feel insignificant, but I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to use you for supernatural things. Your heart, your obedience, I'm going to use that to bless the entire world. You're my servant, which when he says this, this is a significant statement. It was a title reserved for and frequently marked out basically the Davidic king. So he's calling him a Davidic king. You're my servant. He says, I'm gonna make you my signet ring, meaning you're gonna be my token of royal authority, like a throne or a crown or a scepter. You know, anytime that a, a, a king would send a message, he would, he would fold the paper and put wax on it and use his signet ring to seal that paper, to seal that word, to seal that message. And I hope that God is sealing this message on your heart this morning. And he's sealing it with his, his name. You're going to be my signet ring. I've chosen you. See, God would use Zerubbabel as part of the ancestry that would lead to Jesus. He would be the last person to stand to be both in the line of Mary, which is the bloodline of Jesus, and in the line of Joseph, which was the legal lineage of Jesus. That was Zerubbabel. So God is telling him right here, because of your obedience, your life, Zerubbabel, is going to make a world-changing difference. And can I tell you what I believe that God is saying about you today? I believe that God is saying the exact same things. See, our life may not lead to the ancestry of Jesus, but because of our surrender to Jesus, because of our obedience to God, our life could very well lead to a world-changing revival that could lead many other people to the blood of Jesus.
And I think God is saying today, I'm going to use you. I want to use you in supernatural ways for such great purpose. You are my servant. I think God is saying, you are part of my family. You're my signet ring. You represent my name and my stamp. You are royalty is what God is saying over you today in this house. So we need to give careful thought to all this. Think about it. Don't forget. Never forget. God is with us. God is with you. He's for you. He's for you. And I do believe it. Just as we saw last week, your best is yet to come. Your best is yet to come. We got to put first things first. Amen. Hey, would you pray with me for a moment? Thank you for just being faithful to be here and be a part of what God is doing today. But I don't believe God's finished. And I don't have a clear direction from him on honestly what we're supposed to do right now other than just right where you are. Man, this is a personal thing between you and the Lord. And he's saying, consider your ways. Give careful thought. Yeah, it's a new year. New year, new you. But how about we just start right in covenant with the Lord to live right? God, my surrender is not conditional upon my prosperity. God, it is not about my prosperity. It's about my priority. My priority will be you first. God, forgive me. I, I've put so many things before you. God, forgive me. If, if the statistics of my life were put up on the screen, I, I don't know what my percentages would look like. But I have a feeling that I might know. God, I, I want to see those things be different. I want to run this race so passionately and so feverishly for you, for your glory, in faith, God. I, I, I want to get to the end of my life and not even know how did I get here but for your grace, but for your goodness, but for your kindness. God, I want to find myself in situations where I'm literally watching history being made for your kingdom and in your name. I want to find myself in situations where I'm seeing such a supernatural move and God, I get to be a part of it. And may it begin today with my simple yes, my obedience, my whole heart. And God, may that pour into every aspect of my life, I pray. Maybe you're here and you've never surrendered your life. You've never received this gift of life from Jesus. And I just wanna encourage you today, right where you are, the Bible says simply call upon his name Tell him your desire to know him. And the Bible says he will rescue you. He will save you. He will give you life forever, but also abundant. It may not be perfect. Sometimes it might be hard. It's not going to inoculate you from suffering, but it will be filled with joy and peace and comfort and hope and love and truth. And so if you've never invited Jesus into your life today, 
would you simply just maybe pray out loud or in your heart right now and just say, Jesus, I need you. Thank you for loving me. I need your forgiveness and freedom. Would you empty me of my past and my hurt and my shame and my guilt? Right now, of all of it, empty me, Jesus. And would you fill me today with your Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Has it been a good day today? Can we give God glory today? Would you just give him your best for a minute? I want to tell you a, a couple of brief, quick things. Um, I need to find it. I don't want to mess it up. Um, but I do want to tell you just a couple of brief things um, before you go. And just know that we're just going to keep this posture. The team is going to just, um, they're, going to, they're going to lead some, some music and some worship over us. And if you want to stay in worship or pray just for a few minutes, please feel free. We're going to have some people um, ready to pray with you and for you. They're going to stand at that back orange wall back there. And they would love to minister to you. But before you go, just a couple things. Um, February 7 is going to be an incredible day. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we're going to start a new series called Chapter 2. I'm very excited about it. I'll tell you more when we get there. But just know that, that um, there's going to be some vision in there and just really exciting stuff. So we're excited about that. Um, we're going to honor our Boy Scouts. We, we have the privilege of hosting the Boy Scouts in our area. And so they're going to be here to shake your hands and they're going to be wearing their stuff. And let's give them big high fives and tell them that we're praying for them and we support them that day. Um, we're, but I, I want to tell you, we're going to start growth track again. Session one, it'll be at room 101 right after service on that day. And so we'd love for you to be a part of that. If you want to know about the church, but really if you want to learn about you, how God's created and wired you, and how you can make a difference in this world and for the kingdom of God. Go to Growth Track. It's going to be awesome. Last thing I want to share with you is about leading a small group. Um, we're excited about next week because you're going to have the opportunity online to see all the different groups that are going to be available for small groups. It's so important. Hey, you want to put first things first? Can I just say this? We do make time for the things that are important. Make time for a small group. It'll bless you. I promise. I'm not asking for for. You know, I, I don't want to occupy every hour of your life, but I'm telling you, um, man, that small group will be a life raft for you. And so get into a small group. But I do believe that there's still some leaders in the house that may be part of your commitment to the Lord and obedience to say, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to lead. So let me just tell you this. I want to read this because it's eloquent and my wife is very good at what she writes. So this is what she said. Um, how about, uh, yeah, uh, our spring small group semester is right around the corner. Uh, Small groups are the heart of the community of declaration. Whether you want to dive into community with others or to community with the Lord, small groups are the place for you. At Declaration, our leaders are offering groups in person and online. You're going to find groups focused on prayer, Bible study, um, finding freedom, sports, book clubs, you name it, they're there. Um, serving groups, we've got a flood of love group, it's awesome. You're sure to find some people with similar interests as you, and so you want to jump in on that when it, when it happens, but maybe you're to lead that, okay? We believe that God uses connections between um, people that are life-changing, I'm telling you, life-changing. And, and God may be want to use, he may want to use you in this season to lead one of those groups. It can be out of anything, Bible study, book, whatever. 
But let's jump in and let's become a part of that. You can visit declaration.org or someone's going to be at the information table right now after the service to tell you about how to lead a small group. It's not hard. It's a no hassle guarantee. You're going to love it. Okay, so let's jump in and do that. Let's stand to our feet. I want to pray for you before we go. And I want to remind you because we haven't talked about this in the past two weeks, but I trust the Lord provides. But if you feel like giving is part of your worship today, you can do that through declaration.org. Or you can text the word declaration followed by a space and whatever amount the Lord lays on your heart to to give, to sow into it, you can text that word declaration space, that number to the number 77296 and you can participate in giving back to God as part of worship today. Thank you for doing that. It keeps the bills paid. Um, I do, I'm telling y'all, we paid the AC bill here, I promise. It's hot up here. I don't know if it's hot out there, but we paid that bill. So thank you for your generosity. It's making a difference. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your love for us. God, thank you for sometimes hard messages, but I pray encouraging. God, you've got some incredible things that you're doing and that you want to do. And you want to use us in that. And so God, stir up our hearts. Stir up in our hearts, God. Prepare us for this next chapter that you're calling us to. And Father, this week, I pray that we walk in blessing. God, we walk in obedience. We walk in your favor. Father, everywhere we go, send us places where we run into people who need to be encouraged. And Father, may we be your hands and your heart, your voice, your love to so many in need this week, I pray. And God, would you move in powerful ways until you bring us back into this house once again to worship you as a family. We pray all this in your name, Jesus.